Today we'll continue our fall sermon series on presence and practice, some of the, the things, the um, uh, tangible practices that we can do together um, that, that in exploring the, the moments in scripture and the, the, the ways that we're promised that God will show up uh, to us and help us uh, learn how to be even more uh, aware of how God has gone ahead of us and, and does show up uh, by his spirit and has shown up in his son to us. Um, today, uh, we'll, we'll talk about gathering around the table and uh, get to invite uh, a friend and uh, a special guest this morning to share about that. Our, I'll invite Gary to come up because he's going to read for us, but uh, Dr. Norman Wurzba is a professor at Duke Divinity School in theology and ecology and is uh, pretty qualified to talk about food and faith. That's actually the name of a book he wrote, which is great. Um, and I would recommend uh, reading some of the, the things that he's written for the church um, about how uh, creation and uh, specifically food and uh, the, the ways we gather around the table are vital and integrated to our faith in Christ. So I'll invite Gary to come up and read from Luke 14 and then uh, Dr. Wurzba. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, when you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. When one of the dinner guests heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, Happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. Jesus replied, A certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guests, Come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they all began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five teams of oxen and I'm going to check on them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. When he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go quickly to the city streets, the busy ones and the side streets, and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. The servant said, master, your instructions have been followed, and there is still room. The master said to the servant, go to the highway and back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Thanks for God. Good morning, everyone. It's a real pleasure to be here. I've heard about Oak Church for 
Well, three years. So congratulations. Will you pray with me? Gracious and hospitable God, calm us down. Help us to be waiting for your word. Help us to clear out of our minds and hearts all the things that will get in the way of hearing what you want us to hear and tasting what you want us to taste. Amen. So I grew up in a small farming community in Western Canada. The people that I worshipped with were farm folk. They were folks who came mostly from Central Europe. This was shortly after the Second World War. And they had come to Western Canada because there wasn't any place for them to farm back in their homeland of Germany. They came to Western Canada seeking a new life. And what's remarkable to me now when I look back on that generation of people is that they came from the experience of supreme inhospitality. This was war. This was people who had experienced the brutality that people can unleash on each other. And growing up, I would hear stories about what they experienced, about how people who had been on their homeland, their farms, for decades suddenly had them destroyed, had them taken away. They watched as their livestock was simply killed right in front of their eyes. And they marched, they looked, they were refugees trying to find some place of security. And they were looking for hospitality, somebody who would welcome them. And they found it hard to find. So they went out to Western Canada, to Alberta, southern part of the province, and they immediately founded a church. It's a church where my parents eventually met and were married, so I'm very grateful for that church. My dad was one of the very few people who had a car in this congregation, and so he tells me that on Sundays, he would spend about four hours driving all over the place, picking up people so they could be at church together. You see, church was an all-day affair. They loved being with each other. And a big part of their being together is that they ate together. They ate together a lot. And as a kid growing up in this congregation, I heard lots and lots of sermons. I don't remember one of them. Sorry, Chris. So that means the odds are pretty high. You won't remember what I say. And that's okay. Because what I remember in this church was coffee and cake. What I remember about this church are those cherry croissants that Mrs. Helmer made. What I remember is the egg salad that Mrs. Joka made. You've never had egg salad like this. I remember the bread and the buns that these people baked. That's what I remember. And I think now that that's exactly how it should be. Because a church is where people come together to eat. 
It's where they learn to welcome each other to the table. And in being together at table, they actually participate in what is most fundamental to church life, which is to be able to minister to each other and to worship God and give gratitude to God for the gifts that they all have experienced. And I think, you know, this was hard for these people because they had experienced brutality like I will never experience. And yet they felt that one of the most important things for them to do was to share food, was to make sure that even in the context where they had known so much hunger, that they were going to provide for each other and for their community. And so they ate, and I ate with them, and I loved it. It's what I remember. So fellowship was a big part of what they were about. And you might say, well, why does eating and the fellowship around the table matter so much? If you read the Bible very carefully, you discover that God creates a world in which God gives all of it as food to be eaten by the creatures. Why does God create a world where we have to eat? Have you ever wondered about that? Imagine if you didn't have to eat. You could just live without eating. How would your life be different? Think about what happens when you eat together, what you learn when you eat together that you wouldn't learn any other way. I think one of the things that you would learn is that life is a gift. How many of you grow food? I'm glad you have a garden over here. What happens in a garden that you experience that you're not going to experience many other places, if not that the food that you eat is a gift? I have tried to grow food for a number of years, and sometimes it works pretty well, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I'm surprised. Sometimes I'm devastated because I don't control what happens in the garden. So much of what happens in a garden is a surprise. It comes to me from a place and from a power that I don't often understand. And so eating is one of these exercises where we regularly come into the contact with food, teaching us that life is a gift. And this is so very, very important. And I know it's easy for us to miss out on this understanding because if we always only purchase our food, we think food is a commodity that we can simply buy. It is within our control. But as you, I think, know deep down, food doesn't come from a store. Behind the store are gardens and farms where we are continually reminded that if we are going to eat, which means if we are going to live, we have to learn to receive the life that we live through as a gift, a gift from God. And God wants us to understand how our lives are a gift and that if we fail to appreciate how life is a gift, 
if we presume upon life, most basically when we try to own it, when we try to hoard it for ourselves, that life will be desecrated. And I think we see this all around in our world today. You see, God creates out of love. And this love that God creates through and with, it's not an abstract love. It's hospitality. From the very beginning, God has been making room for other creatures, you and me, to live. Think about your own experience of being hospitable to other people or being the beneficiary of somebody else's hospitality. How many of you love to get invited to dinner? Okay, every hand is going up right now because if your hand didn't go up and you say, I don't want to get invited to dinner, what does that mean? Right? If everybody's getting invited to dinner and you're not, your immediate thought is, does nobody love me? And how sad is that? Because a dinner invitation is a declaration of love. Somebody has written to you or called you and said, I want you to come to my house for dinner. And you get all excited because it means, at least in the most minimal sense, they care about me. They want to feed me. How cool is that? Or think about yourself as somebody who maybe invites people over for dinner. What's going on in your mind as you're preparing the dinner? Now, if you're preparing dog food, it's not so good, right? Because imagine inviting people to your table and you give them dog food. What will be communicated? You're not going to think these people love me because they're serving me something that is not for human beings to eat. So as the host, what you do is you think about what does the person who's coming to my table, what do they love? What will taste good? One of my most favorite meals is to prepare the Thanksgiving dinner. So I'm getting excited because it's coming. And at this table, there are going to be all kinds of people eating. And I get to look at the faces of all these people, and I want them all to smile. I want them all to say, this was such a good meal. Because making a meal like that is an excuse for shy people to say, I love you. Because sometimes we find it hard to say. But when we cook for each other, we find a way to show it in the most visible and the most tasty way that we as people can imagine. And as a host, if I made the meal for people I love and they said, I'm not going to eat it, what would they be saying except that they don't want my love? So imagine now God as the supreme host. God from the beginning of time has been cooking up the feast that we call creation. And God makes it all 
as an immense declaration of love to us. And it's a world that tastes so good. You experienced this last night. So did I. I was at another pig picking. Aren't you astounded by the fact that God creates a world that tastes so good? Because God is expressing God's own love to us. So imagine what it must do to God to have us show up at the feast of creation and not receive it as a gift, not savor every bite, not cherish the love that has gone into that table. But maybe we come just to grab and run away. Or as Luke's gospel says today, maybe we don't even want to show up. This gospel that Gary read to us this morning is just one of the many, many places in Scripture where God uses our eating together as a way to help us make sense of our lives. Eating is our daily opportunity to witness to what the kingdom of God is about. And in this story, one of the things that you see happening is that people, they want to shortchange who gets invited to the table. Because maybe we just want to invite the people that we like. Or maybe we want to just invite the people that we know will be able to do us a good favor in return. We call this the power lunch, right? And my guess is that you've experienced something like this where you've been invited to eat with somebody and you know they're not really interested in you, but they're interested in what you can do for them. And so we're very selective sometimes about who we're going to invite to eat with. But Jesus is saying, that's not how this works. And Jesus says instead that we are supposed to invite the people who cannot do us a favor in return. Because the eating is fundamentally about expressing our love to each other and witnessing to God's love for all of us. And sometimes I think we want to, to restrict this love of God when it's so clear in Bible that God's love is not restricted to anyone, to any particular group. It's not even restricted to people. One of the stories I love to present is the story of Noah. When I was a kid, I grew up believing that this was a story in which God is really mad and God decides to destroy the whole world by sending down a flood. But there's this one person named Noah who's declared to be a righteous one. We don't have a lot of information about what it was about Noah's life that made him stand apart and made God say that this is a righteous one. But as you know the story, God goes to Noah and says, build an ark, and I want you to gather up the animals, put them in the ark, and then when the flood comes, you'll survive. So as a kid, I thought, well, this is an escape story because all these creatures are going to die. All these people are going to die in the flood, but the ark is going to be that one little rescue vehicle that's going to save a remnant stock so that when the flood's over, the animals and Noah and his family can repopulate the earth. 
And so what goes on in the ark really isn't that important. The ark is simply that little moment where God takes aside some of the creatures so that when it's all done, life can flourish again. Years later, I learned that this is maybe not the best way to think about the story because it takes our eyes off the ark. What we need to do, I think, with this story is realize that the ark is absolutely central because the ark is the training ground for the work of hospitality. The ark is like a church where we learn to be hospitable to each other. So you have to try to put yourself in Noah's shoes. Imagine that God comes to one of you, or maybe all of you, and says, there's going to be a flood, folks, and I need you to build an ark. And I want you to just, let's, let's be easy. Just, just the Lakewood community. I want you to gather up the life of Lakewood community because I need you for when the flood is over. What would you have to know to do this? Because as the story is written, how many months are they in the ark? Almost a year. So if you're Noah and you know that people are going to come over for a year, what do you have to do? What do you have to know? And what do you have to love? Because remember, Noah is the one who's going to have to feed all these animals. And he can't just let them loose on each other. So Noah had to first of all know what creatures are around then he had to know what do these creatures need to eat and then he had to know how do I take care of these creatures for all these months so that when the flood is over the creatures will be alive and they'll be able to go out into the world and be a witness to God's continuing love. One of the rabbinic traditions says that in those many months when Noah was in the ark he didn't stop once to sleep. And you know why? Because if you've ever had a really good party where you are the host and you're enjoying feeding all these people, it's such a good time seeing them so happy. Are you going to want to get away? Are you going to want to go to sleep? No, because if you're the host and you're serving all these people and it's such a wonderful affair, you want to be present to all the love that is being savored as a group. And so Noah, in the ark, he learns what the hospitality of God is, what the hospitality of God requires. Because what Noah did in the ark, God is doing with the whole creation all the time. God is attentive to every creature. And there are many places in scripture that we could go to where God is described as the one who attends to every creature, even the ones that we don't care about or don't know about. And God is making sure that they have enough to eat. So imagine what it would be like if God said, I'm tired of being a host. I don't want to do it anymore. It's not going to happen because if it did, we would all die. 
So the first lesson I think that we need to pay attention to in Luke's gospel here is that our desire to say only certain people are going to be the ones that we invite, only certain people are the ones we're going to eat with, what we're doing is we're trying to restrict God's love. And Jesus is saying, you can't do that. Remember in the Gospels how Jesus is described as the one who eats with sinners. Jesus is the one who eats with the marginalized. Jesus is the one who finds the people who are lonely, who have been forgotten, and he befriends them. And he does this by eating with them. So that's the one problem we have to face. The second, and this one is maybe a bit more baffling, is that invitations go out to the banquet and people don't want to go. The excuses that are given in the scripture passage, of course, may not be exactly the ones that we would give. How many of you have turned down a dinner because you have to go train a group of oxen? Any of you do that? I don't think so. But we've got our own reasons. Think for a minute about how busy each of us probably is. When we're busy, we're thinking about what we want to do. We're thinking about what we want to achieve. And so we very easily say, I don't need to go to that dinner. I don't have time to go to that dinner. I can just grab lunch on the way or I'll grab my dinner at the drive-thru. What is being communicated when we think this way? Well, certainly one of the things that's being communicated is that we believe that we can have life on our own terms. We don't want to be in the position of having to be answerable to somebody else who gives food to us as a gift. We feel a lot more comfortable just taking the food, purchasing the food, eating it on our own. And in doing so, of course, what we do is we deny how all of our lives are the result of God's giftedness. When we think that we have to secure life on our own, we're going to be tempted to commodify everything. Food, just like everything else then, becomes our acquisition of the things that we need and that we want. And that becomes an experience that is inherently individualizing. It takes us out of the social places, the places of fellowship, the places of hospitality. Jesus is telling us that when we become invited to the feast of creation, we shouldn't be too busy to acknowledge the gift, to receive the gift, and then learn to share the gift. The idea that the world is a gift goes to the heart of our Christian faith. We're going to celebrate Eucharist, and when we do, do we come to the table like this, in a grasping posture? ready to just take for ourselves? Or do we come with our hands open, recognizing that we have to receive gratefully the gift that has been given to us, and not just receive it, but then offer it in, an, in a gesture of sharing to other people?
and in sharing it with other people, witness to how the food that we share is never simply our own. The food that we share is food that has first been given to us because it is the love of God which cannot ever be possessed or controlled. It can only be greatly received, gratefully received and then shared with one another. The whole world is the feast of God prepared for us. Our question today is do we want to receive it as a gift from God? Do we want to share it as a gift from God? And in that sharing, bear witness to God's love for every creature on earth. We eat our way into the gospel. We eat our way through the gospel. And in the eating that we do, that is a witness to God, we testify to the love of God in our world. So let's eat. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and hospitable God, you have created this world as a feast where we can see and taste, touch and feel your hospitality. And yet so many of us find the world in which we move to be inhospitable. We find that we don't have time for each other. We don't have time for you. And so we retreat into anxiety or stress or loneliness. We hide behind anger or suspicion or worry. Help us to see that you are the one who loves, the one who nurtures, and the one who perpetually invites all of us to your feast. Help us as we come to your Eucharistic table and as we think about the, the bread and we think about the blood, when we think about the food that you give to us, how you have yourself become the bread of life, our nurture, so that we can become nurture for the world. Help us when we come and as we taste that we might learn how the world has never tasted so good and how it's tasting so good is an invitation to us to invite everyone else. Bless us in our life together. Amen.